Hello everyone and welcome to Connected. I am um, really, really excited to record today with somebody who is one of my, um, I guess City Collective, one of my oldest friends. Uh, we went to college together and we actually played baseball together our freshman year and now him and his wife are uh, neighbors with my wife and I and um, I'm just really, really excited. So um, Ian Andrews is his name. Ian, how are you doing? Hey, good Brooks. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I think you're the first person to ask. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, I'm good. It's a beautiful day uh, in our neighborhood, especially. So I'm really, really stoked. Um, what do you do right now, Ian? Um, so I just quit my job um, as soon as the global pandemic happened, which is convenient timing. Uh, formerly, I was a nurse in the pediatric ICU at Children's Hospital at Erlinger. Um, I quit for various reasons, um, one of which I'm starting grad school in two weeks, um, and my wife is pregnant with twins, and I started working with the Gillies, with little Miss Cora Gilly, as her nighttime caretaker, um, just as kind of a means to be able to study a little better and have more free time on my hands as my other free time will be taken up with uh, taking care of two little ones. So. Um, it's kind of what I do, kind of what I did. Um, yeah. Yeah, dude. I think there's a lot of healthcare professionals kind of in our church and in and around our church. So is that something that um, you always knew you wanted to do? Or what did that process kind of look like of at least stepping out into pediatric nursing? Um, I always knew I wanted to do work in, in healthcare in some facet. Um, just kind of, I don't know. I don't know why people just said, hey, you would be a great healthcare worker when I was a kid. Like I was like eight and I was like, that's weird. It's a weird thing to say to an eight year old, but yeah, I kind of just got like ingrained in my head that that's where I wanted to be. Um, and I researched a lot of different routes. I started out our freshman year. I was actually pre-med. Um, mm. and then I realized that's not going to happen <laughs> Yeah. Um, between impatience and intelligence. Uh, I didn't have either. You're probably not alone in pre-med, not exactly being Cut out. Yeah. For our yeah. Um, so I kind of decided to go into the nursing field um, as an alternative into that. Um, I originally worked on an adult intensive care unit. Um, I worked there for one year. And then um, Morgan Gilly kind of got me a connection into the pediatric ICU where I worked for two years. Um, when I was a junior going into my senior year of college, uh, we had like our clinicals at Children's Hospital in Atlanta, um, and I just kind of fell in love with everything about it and just the sweetness and the innocence of children. Mm. Um, and then that same summer, I went on to be a camp counselor. Um, and again, like just being around kids was just life-changing. Mm. Um, and just their outlook um, and just hearing how they understand the gospel because it was a Christian boys camp. Okay, um, And it really gave me an insight to like, their emotional and physical needs as tiny little kids. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of pediatrics is, especially when I was working in the ICU, is that it spans from one day old to 18 years old. Okay. Um, so you see a lot, a lot of great experience, a lot of great knowledge, but also you have a large populace that you can, um, you know, leave a great impression on and love on. So, yeah. So working in the pediatric ICU at Erlinger, um, I can imagine that would have been 
pretty crazy. And I know just from you and I talking, um, there were times where it was really crazy. Um, how would you kind of summarize like that experience? Um, a really awesome learning experience, um, just as a nurse and as a healthcare provider. Um, I learned so much about, you know, how to quote unquote save lives yeah. or whatever. Um, a lot of really intense, just zero to 100 adrenaline moments. Um, that really like formed like my behaviors, even in the outside world, I've mm. definitely become a lot more calmer. Um, but it also has led to a lot of spiritual confusion and mm. just spiritual warfare in my life. Um, that has kind of blindsided me. Um, and often had left me with questions of my faith and, uh, where I stand on a lot of things and, you know, the goodness of God and, um, some really tough topics that luckily I think the rest of the world doesn't have to deal with in their everyday um, because it's really, really hard. And I think that was also a, a factor in me leaving. Um, I think two years is, I, and some of the people that have been up in the pediatric ICU have been there for so long and I, and like they're amazing believers and they love Jesus so deeply. Um, and I am honored to know them mm -hmm. and, and I know that they do struggle as well. Yeah. But to hear, you know, that they're still grounded and, you know, spiritually strong in those areas is so encouraging because that's kind of the person it takes to work up in that place. So really, yeah, man, <clears throat> it sounds like you've had to encounter a lot of things that a lot of us don't have to encounter. Like you said, um, what's the process kind of been like moving on from that, like as the job is transitioned, because obviously you spent two years in the pediatric ICU. And so, that's really formative. Like two years is a long time, um, especially for your job. And so um, how have you seen that kind of just like shape you and form you as you have stepped away from it? Um, I think one of the greatest things about working in the PICU is that you have, it's not, you're not just taking care of a little one. You're also taking care of their family um, because all things are interconnected in that place. Mm. And oftentimes there's a lot of confusion for parents as they step into that arena. Um, Which arena exactly? So just like being in an ICU? Just being in an okay. ICU with their children. There's so many questions, so many concerns, so many misunderstandings. Um, and so a great opportunity is to, you know, just educate them on everything that's kind of going on. And, and so in that, you're not just taking care of their kid. You're also, you know, making sure all of their mental and emotional needs are met because, the family unit is just as important as a role in that healthcare space. Okay. Um, and so I think that honestly, I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just asked like, how has it like now that you're away from it, like how have you seen change in your life from being there? Cause like that two years there changed you. Yeah. Um, I don't want to use the word callous because that's kind of a, a dark word, but um, I definitely see things more realistically. Um, my outlook isn't, you know, sad or um, jaded, but I definitely understand the way that sadness and brokenness work a lot better now. Um, and, I wouldn't say that I'm better at comforting people in sadness and brokenness, uh, still working on that, but, yeah. uh, I think it's 
I think the understanding of how people function in those moments has definitely evolved. Um, like families, moms, dads, um, brothers, sisters in those moments. Um, yeah, I think that just like my emotional radar yeah, um, has changed. Probably had to because of just the things you were exposed to. Yeah, like absolutely. Just the way it stretched you and opened you up to maybe new levels of emotion or new emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think probably a lot of people are trying to like figure out, um, man, how do I process this sadness I'm feeling in the midst of a global pandemic? Like I haven't ever felt this level of sadness before. I haven't felt this level of anxiety or questioning um how what things kind of kept you grounded as you were maybe experiencing some of those things a little bit earlier than the rest of us uh, obviously it's around different topics but probably the same emotion somewhat yeah um i don't think i would have survived very long in the picu if it weren't for a couple of things um spiritual guidance and like what our community group has meant to me um uh, Praise God, a lot of our community group are healthcare workers. Yeah. Um, and conveniently, like they have a very amazing listening ear. Um, so I think that just having approachable friends and family in my life um, has definitely been a game changer as I've worked there. Um, but also having great outlets, um, whether it be woodworking or disc golf, um, those kinds of things for me have been just colossal. Um, and just being able to walk away from the hospital after a really tough shift yeah. and just not think about anything except, you know, that it's almost like free therapy. Yeah. Um, except it's not free at all. But. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was just talking with Alan in the last episode about um, just work and how like sometimes as people who live in America in our economy that we only view work as something that's like billable or taxable. Um, when we're thinking about working for God, like it has to have a time card on it or something like that. And I know just from knowing you personally that like you experience God a lot in working, um, whether that's working with your hands or a bunch of different things. How have you kind of found God in working? Like what, cause I know that you love woodworking, you said, so how do you find God in that? How is that restful? How is that enjoyable? All of those things. Man, that's a, a loaded question, but I think there are a couple answers to it. Um, I have had so much amazing time in my workshop, just spent in quiet prayer. Um, when the drills stop turning and the saws pause for a second, um, there's a beautiful quiet as the dust settles. And um, it truly has been a sanctuary inside my workshop yeah. at times um, when I'm feeling a lot of heaviness, even recently with all that's going on um, it's offered me a great place to just pray out loud. Um, yeah. Um, I think that is a way that I've seen the Lord work in me is just, just silence in those moments. Um, and I also think just doing things for other people, hmm. uh, working yeah. with our hands is, you know, just a colossal request of, you know, Paul, he says that, we did not work in vain when, yeah. when the disciples were living with people, when they were working with people. Um, they're constantly using their hands and making benefit of like the gifts that God has given them. And I think for me, like that comes 
in areas such as like helping my friends do things, you know, build decks or build bookshelves or furniture. Recently, our community group um, helped with this place called Training Wheels, um, yeah, where they kind of help families with special needs um, kind of have a place to, you know, come and hang out and relax and just be a family. Um, and we had our community group had the opportunity to go and build some things. Um, and I couldn't be there the day of the build, but I went the day before and kind of prepped everyone for it. Um, and I can remember leaving and just feeling just a huge relief, um, as I finally felt like for the first time in a while, like I was using the gifts that the Lord has given me, like mm. the physical gifts and knowledge that I've just kind of grown up around yeah. um, and actually putting them to use for someone who needs them so much more than I do. Um, it just kind of feels like a piece of furniture in their space does so much more good than a piece of furniture in my house. Um, and like knowing that, you know, families are going to circle around tables there or toys are going to stock those shelves so that other kids can get toys or, you know, yeah kids are going to be able to plant in those garden beds that we made. Like those kinds of things truly bring me a lot of joy. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think definitely like just seeing how God is willing to give us gifts so that we can use them has been a huge, huge blessing in my life. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's so cool. And I mean, I'm, it's been so cool to just like watch and be a part of and be blessed by like your woodworking, um, if any of you are carpenters, you should connect with Ian. Um, he has a pretty cool wood shop in his backyard. But, um, yeah, it's just been a huge blessing to just – and in a lot of ways, I'm, like, envious that I haven't found that thing that is, like, a sanctuary to me yet, yeah. you know? Um, I think in a lot of ways I'm still searching for, like, okay, what is the thing um, where, like, I'm working or creating where it's, like, a, a place of sanctuary? Because yeah. um, I think it is really, really important for Christians, like – that we find that place of sanctuary where like we're contributing to the good of our brother and sister. Um, but it's also a place of like refuge and peace and um, yeah, just like God's presence. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I would say I'm definitely blessed in that, you know, I started doing this kind of stuff when I was probably like 17, 16 or 17. And yeah. like, it has evolved into something that I've loved. And I, I actually thought about this the other day. I was like, you know, a lot of people like don't start like their carpentry or woodworking career as a hobby until like, you know, late forties, fifties. Like if you kind of scour the internet and, you know, find like your heroes, like they're all a lot of older gentlemen and uh, women. And I just thought, man, I'm pretty young. Like yeah. for this to be my thing, um, super blessed. And like, it's kind of crazy to think that like the Lord is going to continue to work through word working in me. Yeah. For so many years to come until I lose all of my fingers to a table saw. <laughs> <laughs> we hope not. Um, yeah, you're, some might say you're a prodigy in the woodworking world. No, I've never heard anyone say that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we're going to kind of transition back to nursing. So you said you're in grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you in grad school for? So I am, um, well, I'm not in yet, but in two weeks I start at okay. the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Um, I'm starting in my pediatric primary care nurse practitioner degree. Um, so end goal is to work at a private, private practice pediatrician's office, um, and just take care of little ones and their families in that setting 
instead of the hospital setting. Yeah. So what kind of motivated you to pursue this extra postgraduate degree in addition to what you were already doing? Um, there are a lot of factors. <laughs> yeah. I, to be completely forthright, the money. Yeah. Um, as a nurse, it is hard to like raise a family so that my wife can stay home with our two kids. Definitely. Um, and Tyler around, which is kind of what I want. I want her to be able to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, so that's a factor for sure. Um, but also just um, work flexibility. Um, hospital hours are not kind. Yeah. Um, currently, I've worked night shift for three of the years that I've been doing nursing. Um, and it's just not feasible to, you know, want to be around. I can't be around my kids, can't go to their baseball games, their soccer games, whatever it is. Like, it just doesn't provide a great atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so those are the two, like, you know, day-to-day realistic um, ideas. But uh, the, you know, grand scheme is that you have more uh, freedom and liberty as a nurse practitioner um, to kind of do your own thing of course, with a doctor in the office, but um, you can kind of be your own licensed practitioner and you can love on families um, and like see these kids in like their very healthy setting. Yeah. Um, which after seeing so many really, really sick kids, it's always nice to see like healthier children Yeah, or, or you know, even, you know, children with other needs and other disabilities, but like, Hey, they're not in the ICU so we can, like make some progress here um, and love on them in that way. And like, you know, I think healthcare is definitely um, like one of the pillars of like well-being, right? Like yeah. You have to be physically healthy as well as spiritual and emotionally healthy. Right. Um, and so having the ability to contribute to that and be, you know, a procurer of health <laughs> in yeah. someone's life, I think is a, a great honor. Um, and to have like a family value you as a nurse practitioner is a really high honor. Okay. Um, I've heard so many, you know, parents talk about how much they love their pediatrician and like, man, what would that look like if people said that about me and they yeah. trusted me so deeply with, you know, their children? Um, I, that's just a great honor. And I would love to have that and like be almost be a part of like an extension of their family. Yeah that they call me in times of need, right. Or anxiety or stress. Um, I think that's one of the things about healthcare is that, um, like for me, when I'm thinking about like illnesses or, um, injuries or anything like that, it's like, because I don't know a lot about it. Um, I have a lot of trust in the people who are taking care of me medically because I have to, because like I am terrified and I am anxious and I'm worried about, and I'm Googling all my symptoms (laughs) and I'm convinced that I'm going to die in a week. Um, and so, like, you see Jesus, like, every time he encounters a sick person in the gospel, he heals them. And it's like, I think it's very clear that, like, God cares about our physical health. Um, like, he wants us to be well. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, like, so cool to just hear you say, like, the pediatrician being, like, an extension of the family. Because, like, in a lot of ways it is. Like, now that I think about it, like, my um, people that take my healthcare workers in my life are, like, very much, like, I call them in times of need, right. <laughs> like some of my most right. desperate needs. Um, so with that being said, you talked about working night shift and how you kind of want to start to move towards day because you're about to have a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is that process of 
being an expectant father in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, <laughs> what's that been like? Um, it has been hard. Yeah. Um, praise the Lord. My wife's sister, Priscilla, and her husband, Matt, just moved to Red Bank, Tennessee. Um, so luckily, in the midst of the global pandemic, we have some family around us. Um, so it's not all so scary. But I, in not to speak totally on my wife's behalf, but I definitely feel like it's a hard season mm-hmm. because there are so many things that a pregnant woman gets to partake in that this pandemic kind of has taken from her. Mm. Um, you know, some examples would be like baby showers or um, just hanging out with other women and that are pregnant. You know, there's a couple in our church that like that's valuable time spent emotionally, like pouring into one another. Um, and we don't know how long those things are not going to be available. Yeah. Um, and that's hard. Um I think that is definitely just the, the social aspect of like pregnancy is not easy. Um, totally for either husband or wife. Um, like I would love to go sit down with Noah and ask how he's doing. And like, I mean, yeah, I can call him, but there's just something about seeing him in person and sitting down and grabbing a drink or, you know, grabbing a meal with Noah and say, Hey man, how's pregnancy going for you? Like, Yeah. yeah, I'm concerned about Gerald too, but you know, what about you? And so like, for me, that's been a little difficult. Yeah. Um, But I think for my wife, it's definitely been a lot harder than it has been for me. Yeah. Um, Cause she's so excited about being pregnant. Um, Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but like, there's so many things like it's kind of getting married where it's like, there's things along the way Mm -hmm. that like help affirm that what you're excited about is really happening. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you have exactly. the pictures, you have the showers, you have all, and it's like, okay, this is really happening. Yeah, this is, like mile markers. Yeah, mile markers, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even thought about like the, it's a, it's like really like learning to mourn the loss of those things. Yeah. Um, for the season at least. So when are y'all, when is she due? She is due on August 21st. Okay. Um, but it is twins. So realistically, it's probably gonna be like July. Okay. Um, it's just a more realistic expectation. So. And Farah, she knows that stuff pretty well because... Yep. So my wife is a labor and delivery nurse. Okay. Um, So she kind of has the pick of the litter as far as obstetricians go. Yeah. um, All of the nursing staff is incredibly excited to take care of her because they're co-workers. Um, And then, of course, like all of my former attending physicians are aware... um, and they're like excited for me. And, you know, they told me like, Hey, if y'all end up in the NICU and you don't want to be there, just call us and we'll, we'll take no you way. to the NICU. Um, so it, it's really comforting to know that Farron knows what's going on. And yeah. I know fairly well what's going on in a different realm. Um, not so much about her healthcare, but about, you know, the little one's healthcare. Um, and so there is a, a sense of calmness to what I think would normally be anxiety for most. But then there is also a sense of anxiety for what would normally be calmness for most. Um, I know worst case scenario, Farrah knows worst case scenario. So those kinds of things do creep in a little bit. I think the devil kind of, you know, chirps in the back of our ear sometimes like, well, what if this happens? And and you just kind of, your head starts spinning, but. um, Has the pandemic made that any more difficult you think or? um, 
Not particularly. Okay. Um, I think largely like she can't go or I can't go to her appointments. Yeah, yeah. Her, her biweekly appointments. I can't go to them um, just because they don't want any more, you know, contamination than necessary at the office. Um, so that, and you know, it's a little scary thing to go alone to yeah. those kinds of things. You know, there could always, there's always possible looming news. Um, and she just would prefer me to be there, but unfortunately I'm not allowed. So I think that's probably in this very current moment, right. the thing that is the worst. But. Yeah, definitely. Um, something that you've talked about throughout and that everyone who is listening and knows he and knows somewhat, um, but it's just like the importance of like faith and like our response is like God's people. Um, just like hearing that. And so um, just, so you've been in Chattanooga for how long? Um, 2017. Okay. So right at three years. Okay. And that was kind of when you and Farah began your adult lives, right? Yeah. So like, we got married in July and then moved here and started our jobs right literally i think a week before we got married yeah okay so given that you've been doing this thing for three years um living in chattanooga like having a family um all these things um what's something that like faith has meant to you just kind of like over reflecting upon the past three years or um i mean obviously there's been changes there's been Theological changes, there's been practical changes, people changes, all kinds of things. Um, but if someone's listening to this, especially so like let's have an audience in mind. So if someone is um, a college student and is like, man, I want to be married one day. I want to have a job. I want to have kids. Well, like you're in the position of where all three of those things are or are about to be realities. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like these mile markers in life. Um, what have you learned about faith just up to this point in your journey? Um. Specifically from living in Chattanooga and being yeah. a city collective? Yeah, okay. I would say the past three years. Yeah. Um, man, that is another loaded question yeah. because I think I think Brooks could tell you if you asked him this question about me. I feel like he might honestly have a better idea because um, Brooks and I have kind of walked, I think, in stride in this season. Um, Brooks called me the second he saw that I moved to Chattanooga and invited me to coffee. And we talked about what city collective was and, and where I was coming from. And, you know, we weren't committed to a home church yet, but we were, you know, interested. Um, and after our first meeting at Sacro, I think we were sold. Yeah. Um, and man, since then, I think my, just minor beliefs on like theological ideas have altered just a little bit. Totally. Um, That's natural. I think through time. Yeah. And I think just being in a city like we're in, in a moment like we're in, um, I think watching my faith adapt, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's probably the best word to use as it comes to like, right. Cause we're supposed to be of the kingdom, not of the world. So I wouldn't say that like, you know, the city of Chattanooga has changed me, but that being in Chattanooga, my faith has adapted to meet the needs yeah. of Chattanooga yeah, or to really see way. the needs of Chattanooga. Um, and I think that's a pretty important distinction um, because I think now, like if you asked me three years ago to just introspectively look into my own heart and soul, um, I definitely value, you know, 
loving the community of Chattanooga. Yeah. Um, like loving the people and the brokenhearted and the weary, which I think our community group has done an absolutely magnificent job of meeting certain needs um, in certain times of strife. I think that that's probably, that's probably the overarching theme is yeah. that the most growth I've gotten in the last three years has come from like really stretching myself mm. and meeting the needs of people with less. Um, just like serving, like it's yeah, like, just serving. Yeah, serving. it sounds Easily. like um, um, as you've served or like committed to serving, like you've you've watched your faith kind of just like grow and mm-hmm. adapt and like like you said, adapt to the needs of the city. Yeah, so I think serving is definitely one of the bullet points, and I think the second one would probably be um, just being in community. Yeah. Um, we have been in a community group since we started here, um, and that has evolved drastically. I yeah. think there's probably four or five of us that are still in the same community group. I think we've kind of, which is a beautiful thing to see too, yeah. you know, like watching that community branch off. And how different it looks now. I mean, I'm thinking even yeah. of like Morgan and Taylor and like how mm-hmm. different life looks like for them now. Right. You know? Absolutely. Like, um, you know, and like, you know, now there are other leaders that stemmed from that group. Yeah. Um, which is beautiful to see. Like that's how I think the Lord wants us to walk in our faith like right he's not just we're not just along for the ride but he's making disciples totally um and i think that is a great picture of like what that initial group was and it has evolved into so much and um you know our second year of chattanooga farah and i led our community group yeah um and honestly it was really hard yeah uh i think i probably got a little burnt out i definitely got burnt out yeah um but third year as we kind of said, Hey, we need to step back from teaching and leading. And I think we just want to ride this one. Yeah. Um, Cause we're kind of in that season where we need to step back um, and let others take the reins from us um, and let, you know, others prove and show their passions. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of where we are. And um, it kind of has taught us, I think ultimately about like what it means to be bought in um, to community group and how different that looks instead of just showing up. Yeah. Um, I know that for me, there is so often a temptation to not show up. Yeah. Literally just say, Hey, I'm busy tonight and I'm not going to make it. This isn't convenient for me. My life's crazy. I've got stuff going on. Uh, I know it's easy but it has proven time and time again over the last three years that um, there's so much value in showing up and, you know, buying in and committing your emotional and physical energies to all of these people. Yeah. Um, it's hard, right? Yeah. Because it's like you said, like there's so nights where, I mean, last night we did our check-in for our community group on zoom and I was like, I'm not good. <laughs> like yeah. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'd, if I'm honest, I don't want to be here. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I, I mean, literally same thing last night. I, I dialed into the zoom call and I was like, Oh, the Xbox I could be playing right now. Or yeah. The TV I could be watching. Like those things sound so nice in comparison. And then I logged down and, and someone asked me how I was doing. I was like, uh, thumbs down, bad week. Yeah. Um, and I fully intended to not say a word. Hmm. I was totally going to just bottle it up and, 
white knuckle it through the zoom meeting without really emotionally being vulnerable being or vulnerable. giving of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, and as soon as I just came to that space, I was like, Nope, I need to be honest. I need to be open and I might cry a little bit, but I need to tell everyone what's going on because it's honestly a lot. And it's really been one of the worst weeks in a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, is vulnerability something that you think is difficult then like for you or, um, I think in large groups, it can be a little intimidating and I, know for a fact I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Um, but I, I like to kind of dwell on it. That's my personality. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm an overthinker. Like I'll, we'll just sit in silence and just contemplate all of my sadness. Okay. Um, just kind of how I get through it. And then when I'm ready, which oftentimes is not true, right? Like I'm not, I'm not actually ready or I'll never be ready enough yeah. to talk about it or work through it. Uh, so that's a lie that, you know, you have to kind of work through. But I think that just like, oh, I wasn't ready to talk about it. Cause like all of this news was like one day old. Yeah. Um, all these things that I'm struggling with or, you know, within a week time span, which for me is like not enough time to emotionally work through what's going on. Um, but there was so much freedom last night and just saying, Hey, here's what, here's what is it about my awful week amidst the global pandemic. Yeah. Here's all the other terrible things happening in my life that make me want to just get on my knees and cry as yeah. we're talking about rejoicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, whoever planned that, <laughs> um, man, no, I totally resonate. And I think too, like my temptation is to white knuckle it. Um, I don't know why, but I, don't enjoy um, feeling like I'm needy or weak or so many of the things that the enemy kind of just like uses to almost like disengage me from life with other people, you know? Um, and so I totally resonate with that it is something that is so difficult because like, it's so good when we do, like you said, like you and I both last night were like, not good. Um, and we probably both experienced like life from it and like, honestly, like felt God's presence in it. But the temptation every single week is to be like, all right, how honest do I really feel like being like, where, where is my like investment meter? Like, am I going to go full in 100% empty the tank or am I just going to be like 10%? Like, yeah, it was an okay week. Yep. It was all right. Yeah, definitely a very common temptation. I think both for me and everyone. And I think this current, climate of global pandemic where it's a lot easier to hide behind a screen. screen. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's really not hard to, you know, put on a face, right. Cause there's only so many pixels that can capture an emotion. Yeah. Um, you even have to have your camera on. Technically. Yeah. Technically you can just be there hanging out. And I think that's, yeah, it's definitely a temptation in our moment, but also just in general. Yeah. So the, um, the next question is probably going to be the most difficult one. It's what I've asked everyone. Okay. Um, assuming everything returns back to normal, um, when this is all over, mm-hmm. businesses operate as normal, all that stuff. Um, what's the first restaurant mm. you're going to go to? Mm. Um, I am going to go with – this is tough – I'm gonna have a one and a two. My one is probably gonna be State of Confusion. Really? Yeah. I don't. Th- I don't even think I knew this about you. Yeah, I actually really like State of Confusion. I think it's also an atmospheric thing. 
Okay, you uh, sit outside? Sit outside. Okay. Great drinks. Yeah. But also a large, you know, just a large pot of different variations of food. Yeah. Right? Like you can get like 10 types of ceviche. Yeah. So it's like I can kind of dip my toes in all the foods I was missing during quarantine. Yeah. I think that's... So it's more of a, is it like a strategic play or is it like this is actually your favorite place? It is. It's one of my favorite, but it's also strategy. Yeah. But if I had to, if let's just say, I don't know, they got shut down. I don't know. Worst case right. scenario. I think I'm going to 210 Jack. Okay. So is that the atmosphere again? Yeah. Atmosphere. I really don't think there's any like Japanese food like it. Yeah. No, it's really, yeah, there's not. And you know, get a nice warm sake. Yeah. Sake for the soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is cool. Okay. So you're going, Ian is going to um, 210 Jack or State of Confusion. You can join him there when this is all over. Meet me there, friends. Yeah. Meet him there. Um, man. So this has been a lot of fun. Um, thanks for coming to do this, Ian. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, letting me walk across the street and stay six feet apart. Yeah. We're, we're six feet apart. Yeah. Um, definitely. Well, um, cool. Well, for Connected, uh, which is a City Collective podcast, this has been Brooks and Ian. Um, as always, our hope and prayer is that you are safe in this time, that you are well, um, and the grace and the peace of God our Father would comfort you as we just continue to hope in the midst of uncertainty. So we hope that y'all have a great rest of your day.